Welcome to the podcast, Let the Prophet Speak. Today we are studying the book of Yoel, the book of Joel, chapter 1. This is Saul Weiner, the host for your podcast. The book of Yoel is not very well known, but of course has many, many important lessons for us to learn. And it is a privilege to study it with you. Uh, by way of introduction, I want to talk a little bit about who Yoel was and when he lived and wrote his book of prophecies. Um, the first verse uh, introduces Yoel to us as simply Yoel ben Pituel, Joel the son of Pituel. This leaves us without very much information as to when he lived and when he spoke. Throughout the four chapters of Yoel, there are no explicit references dating when this occurred. In the other books that we've studied so far together, in Isaiah and in Hosea, there were dating psukim, there were dating verses that explained exactly when they lived and who the kings were and so on. And there were also often clear historical references to other nations, events, and so on. While there are references to other nations and events in Yoel, none of them help us date this book. So that leaves us with um, other ways to try to figure out when he lived and when he spoke uh, and when he said his prophecies, basically by analyzing either the style or, or analyzing um, uh, the events, analyzing what he says, analyzing the subject matter and so on to try to discover when this was written. <clears throat> In my usual manner, I'm not going to focus too much on the historicity or specifically exactly when this happened because the message is much more important than the um, timing. But I can't let, let the, uh, this subject go by without speaking about it at all. So let me just mention a couple of the basic ones. First of all, within the Jewish tradition, we have really two different um, possible uh, explanations. One is the, um, the, uh, the idea that Petuel, the father of Yoel, was, um, according to the uh, Chazal, according to the rabbis of the Midrash, that, um, that, that Petuel is another name for Shmuel Hanavi, the, the prophet Samuel. Uh, as Pituel would be translated as the one who was Pita, Pitu, was convinced God by changing God's mind by praying to God, is, so to speak. Obviously, one doesn't change God's mind. But, but, and therefore, Yoel ben Pituel is a son of Samuel, which would place him extremely early in the um, lineup of prophets, possibly the earliest of the prophets who wrote his prophecies. Obviously, there was, there was other prophets earlier, Samuel himself, but that sat down and wrote a book of prophecies, the writing prophets, so to speak, such as Isaiah and Hosea that we studied together, he would be one of the earliest. Another Jewish tradition, which um, is very different from that, would place him later, um, um, and that would be in the time of... Uh, of the king Menashe, who was the son of Chizkiyahu, much later that would place him after Isaiah. And during the king of Menashe, as the Halachot um, uh, uh, places him, so uh, much later in the, uh, in the, um, among the dating of the prophets. 
Uh, scholars have debated this uh, significantly. Some have placed him during the time of the king Yehoash, uh, and some have placed him during the time of Yoshiahu, uh, and some have even placed him, because of the apocalyptic nature of some of his prophecies, placed him in the second temple period. Personally, I, I don't, um, and, and many scholars would agree that the post-exilic, the those that place him in closer to the prophecies of, of Ezra and Nehemiah and so on, much later in the Second Temple period, generally don't really, um, the scholarly arguments for that date have been mostly refuted, and I'm not going to go with that um, because it doesn't, um, it doesn't have a lot of argument for it. Uh, and the, um, but the, the pre-exilic, putting him sometime during the First Temple period, seems uh, reasonable and and because the arguments fly back and forth uh, let's stick with assuming that he's an early prophet sometime during the first temple period now that we discussed the the timing we can go and focus a little bit on the words of yoel um i would like to point out several things that are are uh, we're gonna we're gonna see during the reading of this chapter this chapter is often quoted and is often the subject of, of, um, of, of sermons that are said in response to a natural, major natural disaster, major calamities that occur in, 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 in the world. Uh, you know, clergymen of all faiths that believe in, in, in the Bible use this as an example of a, a response to a major natural disaster. The natural disaster that Yoel is talking about is the disaster of a terrible, terrible plague of locusts, which ruined the crops of all the people and caused masses of, of, of starvation and, and extreme difficulty for the people. So this is used as an example. And there are some things that really stand out here and i'm going to point them out as we go through this chapter so let us begin the first i'm going to read through the chapter and then i'm going to deal with some of the questions that seem to uh really um really glare um that really um uh, stand forth that need explanation and we're going to talk about some some explanations and ideas that come from this that's verse one the word of god that came to the uh, yoel joel the son of petuel <coughs> remember this zikanim you elders Elders being the leaders, and listen up all of the people that reside within the land, everyone. I'm emphasizing that for a reason, and you'll understand the reason later. The Zikanim being the leaders, and Kol all the people of the land. Has anything like this? It would seem from the context that this plague of locusts was currently occurring and had already begun. And he's saying, has anything like this ever happened in your days in Bimeavotechem? Or have you heard that, has it ever happened in the days of your fathers? Have you ever heard historically of such a terrible disaster of locusts? You should speak about this to your children. This is verse 3. And your sons will tell, and your children will tell their children. And their children will take further and further out into the future generations. Um, 
Yeser HaGozam Ochal Harbe, we see that that which the Gozam, these are uh, different kinds of locusts or insects that have uh, attacked and plagued the, the crops of food. The, the remainder of whatever was left over by the Gozam, which is uh, one kind of locust, Ochal Harbe, the Arbe, which is another kind of locust, ate the next season. And whatever was left over from the season that was attacked by the Arbe, that kind of locust, Ochal HaYolek, the Yolek, which is some kind of, um, uh, another kind of pest, uh, some kind of a worm that infected the crops. V'yeser HaYolek, Ochal HaChosil, and that which was left over by this other worm was eaten by this other type of, of grasshopper that came the next season. So one after another after another, one wave and then another wave and then another wave, four waves of different species eating and destroying the crops. Hokitsu shikorimu v'chu, wake up you drunkards and start to cry. Here, it's interesting to note that there is no hint of criticism directly here. Yoel is not berating the drunkards here. He is saying it's like he's trying to dig to the depths of society. He's digging to the lowest rungs of the social structure and telling even you drunks in the street, you guys get up too and start to cry. And start to cry out or to wail all those of you who drink wine. I'll assist because of the new wine, because you have nothing left to drink. So you are suffering. You, the beggars that don't even grow your own crops, that are lying in the street, so to speak, you have no wine. You have nothing to drink. It's over. Why? Because a nation has came up upon my land. Now, this language here, goy, nation, the commentaries generally explain means... Um, a reference to a foreign invading body. Uh, and in this case, that invading body is insects. Um, but some have interpreted this to mean that this plague of locusts, this plague of insects, was not really a plague of insects at all, but it's rather a metaphor for an attack by a foreign occupier. Um, there are arguments for and against this interpretation, but because I'm like to stick to the meaning of the words themselves, I'm going to assume here, just for the sake of letting the prophets speak for themselves, that we're actually talking about a plague of locusts, and this nation here is not is referring to a swarm, an invasion, in this particular case, an invasion of insects rather than an invasion of people, because he was so clear and so... Um, and so uh, descriptive of the species names even of these uh, locusts, it really seems like he's talking about an actual, and, and, and the, the effect on the food chain and so on is so explicit that it's hard to argue that he's not referring to an actual plague of locusts. Otsum vein misbarred is so much and you cannot even count them. He's almost like saying, I'm not talking about a regular nation, but I'm talking about a nation of insects and because there are so many, and they're, they're tiny, but there's millions of them, you can't count them. Shinov shine its teeth are like the teeth of a lion. And he's saying that even though they're tiny little insects, there's so many of them that their teeth have the power of a lion. Umitalos lavi lo. And it has the, the, the fangs of, of, of a young lion, a lavi, to this, this horde of locusts that are attacking us. And what has it done? 
Some gafnil shama, it has destroyed all of my vines, my grapevines. Ute'enosi liktsofa, and my fig trees that I grow figs have become, ketsef, have become broken up and torn apart. Chasof, chasofa vihishlich. They have ripped the bark off the trees. That's how bad they are. Hilbinu sorigeha, and the, um, and the, um, Roots and the and the the growth that come out of the trees and plants have become whitened because their bark has been stripped off by these invading insects. Eli cry and cry so so desperately like a young woman cries or uh, uh, over the the young man that she fell in love with when she was young. Her the love of her of her life. And she lost him. Cry like the the sad, 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 terrible, terrible wail and cry of such a young woman. The crops are so bad that now there's no longer any meal offerings or wine offerings being brought in the temple of God because there's nothing left to bring. The Kohanim, the priests, those that serve God in the temple, are now wailing because and they are now mourning because they are also lacking in they don't have those sacrifices, they don't have anything to bring to God, and the sac the services of the temple are gone. Shudad Sodeh, the fields have been destroyed and 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 and, and, and ravaged of Law Adama. The land is mourning, Kishudadogon, because the grains of the field have been ripped away, taken away. Hovish Tirosh, the wine veins have dried up, Umlal Yitzhar, the oil crops, the olive crops are have are are done, they're finished, they're gone. They 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 didn't they were not su- successful. So he has picked on the Zikanim, the elders, the leaders of the generation, which were then the political leaders. He picked, said, Kol Yoshviar, all the people of the land. He mentioned the Kohanim, the priestly caste, as people that are suffering. He mentioned the um, the Kohan, Kohanim, we, we just said. And now in verse 11, Hovishui Korim, the farmers of the field are are dried up, their spirits are dried up. Helilu Kormim, the vine, the vineyards, the people that grow wine, are crying. Alchitov Yalsaora, they're all crying over the wheat and the barley, Kiavad Kitsir Sadeb, because all of the harvests of the field are lost. Hagefen Hobisha, the uh, the vines have dried up, Hateinom Lola, and the fig crop has failed. Rimon, even the pomegranates, Gam Tomar, and the dates of the palm trees, vitapuach, and the apples, all of the trees of the field, no crop, there's no saving crop that, that did work, everything is gone, because joy has been taken away from all of the people of the land. The emphasis here, again, is on all of the people, and um, everyone has lost. It's a terrible, terrible, terrible natural calamity that has befallen all classes. Everyone equally has suffered. Um, and then, uh, in the second, we're about to start the second portion of this first chapter of Joel. And again, he focuses on the Kohanim, on the priests. And I want to emphasize this for many reasons. But in this first part, he's, he, he mentioned Kihovish Sason, happiness and joy was taken away from all of the people. The people 
all the way down to the lowest rungs of society, the drunkards, all the way up to the highest rungs of society. But now he's going to focus on those people who are in the leadership classes, the Kohanim and the Zikenim. And this is very, very, very important to the central message of this chapter, as I am going to emphasize. Verse 13, Chigru v'siftu ha-Kohanim. Get, gird yourselves, get yourselves ready, and start to lament, you priestly caste. Those of you that serve at the altar, start to cry. Um, get up, and, and, and sleep in sackcloth. Don't sleep in your luxurious clothes that you usually have. Those of you that serve my God, says the prophet. From your God too, there is no longer any mincha vanesah. I would like to, for a moment, compare this and think about in the many, many instances where we've had in history terrible famines. Let's think in recent history. I'm, I'm thinking of, let's say, the potato famine in, in Ireland um, or the, um, in the Chinese in, during the uh, communist days of, of China in, in like uh, the 1950s and 60s, the massive starvations of millions of people, where the upper classes didn't suffer. In, in, in Ireland, where the British overlords, they didn't suffer. They were still selling away food crops. The lower classes did. It's extremely important that Yoel here is focusing and zeroing in on the leadership classes, the priestly classes, those, they also were forced to suffer and they are being told and directed to cry along with the people and suffer along with the people. There are no privileged classes. It's so important that he emphasizes over and over again the unity of all of the different classes of his society. And then he goes in the next verse again and says, Kadshu Tzom. Make a fast day, kiru atzara. Call out to everyone and say, uh, "There's a we need to get together." Isfuzikenim. Let the leadership, let the elders, the leadership, let the leadership. Again, I'm emphasizing that. Let them gather. Call Yoshvehar. It's all of those that reside in the land. Beis Adonai in the house of God. Not just the priestly caste, not just the lower caste, not just the leadership, but everyone together. Bizaku Adonai and let us cry out to God. Aho layom, woe is it to that day. because the day of God is coming. and it is coming like a terrible, terrible destruction coming from God Himself. right in front of our eyes, our food is getting cut off and taken away from us. from the house of our God, all happiness and joy is being taken away. No division between the priestly classes. And the, and the common folk. No place to say that, oh, the priests can enjoy and have happiness in the, in the Beit HaMikdash, in the temple, while the people don't have simchal. Remember, the people don't have happiness, like he said. But the happiness is taken away from everyone, from everywhere, from all classes. Afshufirudos tachas megrifosehem. Their seeds have shriveled underneath the, the, the ground. Nashamu otsaros. The granaries, the, the places where they collected um, uh, grain to save it for the future is completely empty. Nersu mamguros, the um, the places where they, the buildings the, the, that they use on their farms 
have been destroyed because all of the grain has dried up. Not only that, but also the animals. How harmed are they? How, may, how much pain are the animals in? The birds, the herds of cattle are confused and starved. There's nothing for them to eat. There's no pasture for them. The, even the... Um, the uh, the flocks of sheep are being caused to suffer as if they had done something wrong as well. Elecha Adonai Ekra, to you God I call out, says the prophet, Ki because fires have consumed the beautiful bounties of the of the wilderness, and flames have scorched all of the all of the uh, trees of the field. Animals of the field, not only the domesticated animals, but even the wild animals of the field are crying out to you. Because the um, water has dried up. So it seems like not only was there, was there the destruction of the locusts, but also the destruction of drought and, and, and probably wildfires based on his description here. Now, this ends this chapter, but I would like to point out some, one thing that was glaring that I s- spent a while thinking about and researching. At no point in this chapter does Joel tell the people and berate them for something that they have done wrong and tell them you need to repent for doing this sin or you need to repent, you need to be better, you need to treat people better, you need to keep the, the, the commandments better, you need, you, you let, you're not keeping Shabbat well, you, well, whatever, there's no criticism which is extremely different than most of the other prophets. In fact, we will find that with possibly maybe some tiny exceptions in these four chapters of the words of Joel, nowhere does he berate the people. Nowhere does he tell the people to repent in a specific way. He tells them, though, to get together, all the classes of the people, to get together because of a natural calamity and pray to God. This is extremely, extremely revealing. Because that is really, truly the deepest and most important lesson of this first chapter of Joel. And that lesson is that in face of a natural disaster, the people suffer together. No more class differences. No more differences based on birth and based on who's a priest and who's not a priest and who's, who's a leader and who's not a leader in the upper classes and lower classes. What Joel is saying to the upper classes, you suffer along with everyone else. You pray along with everyone else. Unity in the face of suffering is the theme of Joel. When there's no sason, when there's no happiness and joy among the people, then there's no simcha vagil in the temple. When, when there's no food for the people, there's no food for the leadership. When there's no food for the animals in the field, there's no food for the people. This is the the response to a natural disaster like this that Joel is trying to teach. What God wants for everyone to do is for everyone to get together, everyone to get together and pray. God does not want the prophet to blame and say, this is the reason why we're suffering. When, when the prophet would get up and say, we're suffering because of this and this and this sin. Then everyone points their fingers at the other person and say, oh, you're the guy that did that sin, not me. I don't have to pray. You do. You're the one that's wrong and create division. Joel did the opposite of creating division between the people. Joel created unity because of suffering. And it is this message of unity that is going to 
later in this book, as we study together, as you shall see, it's because the people get together with unity that there will be a salvation at the end. It is that unity among the people that brings about the salvation. And it is that unity that God wants to see as a response to this terrible, terrible plague of locusts that Joel is discussing. Thank you so much for studying chapter 1 together with me. Looking forward to studying uh, Joel chapter 2 together as well.